Dear God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and find grace and mercy to help in our time of need. Before we call, you promise to answer. And while we're yet speaking, you're hearing. O thou who hears and answers prayer, unto you shall all flesh come. We ask for your help, your strength, your mercy, your kindness, your wisdom. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We pray, Father, for those about us who are sick in body, in their mind, in their soul, in their spirit. Touch them where the source of their discomfort lies. Cheer the mourners, still the tempest, and let your name be glorified. Raise up the fallen, heal the sick, drive away every pain, disease, disorder, and correct every malfunctioning organ or area or system in their life. For you are the Lord, our healer. Touch every ailing child of yours who call on your name at this hour. Send your word and heal them as they touch the hem of your garment. Let your presence surround your people. Let your presence surround those relatives whom we have in our hearts and minds at this time. O oh Lord, drive away every infirmity, every deficiency, and every malignity. Make the sick to become well, to prosper, and to be in health, even as their soul prospers. Let liberation come to everyone who is bound, restricted, limited, and suffering from need physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and in any way. Meet everyone at the point of their need, we pray. You are the El Shaddai, the one who is all sufficient. Nothing is too hard for you. So we thank you for this. We lift up our eyes to the peoples and the places beyond us beyond this circle. People who are in need of your care, your love, your salvation, your provision, your help. O oh Lord, hasten to help those in any form of need. Those who are crying out to you, may they come to the saving knowledge of your person and goodness. May they find you as their personal savior while they go through their struggle. In Jesus' name, you, Lord, are our refuge and strength. You are the great I am, that present help in time of trouble. We cling to you, we trust you, 
We believe what you said in your word. You will do what you have promised. We pray for those who are being tossed and driven through the restless sea of life. Oh, Lord, wanting food and shelter, financial support, jobs, a sense of direction. Those who are looking and longing for companionship, for a faithful friend to support them. Oh, Lord, meet every form of need facing your children at this hour today. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for what you're doing. Those people who are celebrating anniversaries or birthdays, we remember them, Lord, for we are thankful for everything you have done for us. And one great thing you've done for us is to keep us by your power, ever looking to you and trusting you for our every need. Thank you for these moments, Lord. We can linger here all night because your presence among us is so real and so wonderful. Thank you, Lord, for every benefit and every blessing. And for this moment, even as we are about to look into your word, open our eyes and our understanding that we may learn, that we may know, that we may understand your plan in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Our scripture portion for today is to be found in Galatians chapter 4. And really we should be reading from verse 1 to 7. But time would not permit us to do all of that. So I'll just read uh, a verse that we want to focus on. Verse 4, Galatians 4 and 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman and made under the law, five, to redeem them that were under the law. Galatians 4, and I was only able to read verse, uh, top of verse 4 and part of verse 5. Our focus will be on the first portion of verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Time is such an important aspect in God's dealings with man. Man tends to be in a big hurry all the time. God has his appointed times and seasons. Prayers on many occasions help us to arrive at God's time appointed. The scriptures say, be still and know that I am God. Standing still is a difficult exercise for some of us. In quietness and confidence, the scripture also says, shall be your strength. Moses was told that he must stand still and there he would see the salvation of the Lord. And then he'd be able to give God the glory. That time span of standing still, of being able to be quiet and to wait, is sometimes the most difficult piece of time uh, for us, standing still. It is during our difficult 
waiting time, God is actually working for us. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a goal that he is working toward. We don't see or know what is really going on. We think some, We think sometimes nothing is going on. But God, my beloved brothers and sisters, God is in the background. He is in the darkness. He is preparing the ground for our victory, for the victory that is coming to us. He is on his way toward making things happen for us in our cause, in our troubles, in our difficulties. God is on the way. And help, his help is on the way. Israel, for example, was unaware that all night God caused a strong wind to forge a path across the Red Sea and to form that part or turn that path into dry ground. Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 21. God is working for you. Things may not appear that way, but let me assure you, God is working for you while you are waiting. He will not stand idly by while you are calling. He is on your case this very hour. Give him praise. Give him thanks. For great is his faithfulness. And now to Galatians 4 and 4. We see when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. What time and how long was the period of waiting? We will have to go back as far back as we could to the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. God made a promise then that as a result of the fall of man, there would be continuous animosity between man and the devil until the woman's seed would bruise the, the serpent's head. Yes, three facts must be noted from this scripture here in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head and he shall bruise his heel. Number one, a child usually is referred to as the seed of the male partner in the relationship, never as the seed of the female, the woman. But here the infallible God calls the offspring the seed of the woman. This is because this particular seed God would cause to come forth from a particular arrangement where it would not be the seed of a man or the blood of a man or the input of a man. It would be, this seed would be born in and of, rather, the will of God. As we learn later in Luke 1 and 35, the angel told the Virgin Mary that the Holy Ghost will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, 
that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. Christ of Christmas is a child that was born of the Holy Spirit, not of the flesh, nor of the will of man, not of blood, but born of God. John chapter 1 and verse number 13. Were Christ born of a man, he would have been born a sinner and thus would be unable to save us who also are sinners. He had to be born of God, born sinless, born spotless in order to rescue us from our sin. And he had to maintain a state of sinlessness until the time of his death on the cross. The devil cometh, the scripture says, and findeth nothing in Jesus. John 14 and 13. Jesus knew no sin. Somewhere in the book of Hebrews it says he was tempted in all points, yet without sin. For Jesus to be able to free us from sin, he himself had to be free from sin. He was born sinless since he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Not a sinful man, but born of God, born of the Spirit. Now, how long did it take mankind to have to wait for this sinless Lamb of God to appear? Come the years from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where we have the promise of the Savior to the time when the angel announced to Mary the Immaculate Conception. How long was that? And then there was another 30 plus years for him to become the Lamb of God for the sin of the world offered at Calvary. Time, as I said before, is very a very important factor in God's purpose and program. Yet this does not mean we must sit down and be idle since everything for God takes time. We must work the works of him that sent us while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. Jesus said, occupy till I come. He warned us, keep busy for him while he delays his coming. He comes back like a thief in the night, unexpected. We cannot be found idle while he is delaying his coming. We must be active. What are you doing for God? What are your hands doing, your lips? What are your resources doing for God? How much? So the first fact we note about the prophecy in Genesis 3.15 is that the Savior would be the seed of a woman. He was to have a female progenitor, whereas progenitors are usually of the male species. He was born of a virgin and born of the Holy Ghost. The second fact in Genesis 3.15 is that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head, Satan's head. 
It is a well-known fact that crushing the head of a serpent is to put that creature out of its existence. The head is the vulnerable point of its ability to live. In the prophecy of Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman would put an end to Satan's activity for eternity. Yes, the seed of the woman would put an end to Satan's activity. 2,000 years have come and gone and going by quite rapidly, yet the enemy is going on seemingly unhindered in this world of God's creation. But again, time is playing its role in God's purpose. As there came a fullness of time for Christ to be born, so there is coming a fullness of time for the head of the serpent to be crushed, Revelation 20 and 10. He will be cast into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever. For good, doomsday is coming for that serpent. He will pass through his stages, but his end is clearly in sight. The seed of the woman would put uh, an end to all Satan's activity in this world and in the next. The time is coming when his confinement and restrictions, shall I say, will be on a permanent basis. That for, and that forever. He will be cast into the lake of fire forever. Check Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 10. And we need to remind the enemy when he attacks us that that is his final place and it's coming sooner than he thinks. There is yet a third aspect of the prophecy in Genesis 3 and 15. The serpent shall bruise the heel of the woman's seed. The heel is not necessarily a vulnerable part of the human body. The serpent succeeds in harming Jesus, but the harm he inflicts was only able to kill Jesus physically. Jesus, by his death, could not remain in that condition of death. Why? Because only sin could have made death to hold him forever. But there was absolutely no sin to be found in Jesus. Death, therefore, had to let him go on the third day after his death on the cross of Calvary. Jesus literally rose up from the grave clothed in a body now glorified and unrestricted by natural laws. Now he is fit for his father's home in heaven once again. Satan had hoped to keep him in the grave for all times, but God raised him up from the dead inasmuch as there was not found anything worthy of death to keep him in death there in the grave. Yes, he was tempted, the scripture says, 
in all points, yet without sin. Not one sin was found in him. Satan couldn't point a finger of accusation against him. Even so, Satan will try to do us permanent harm. But our great physician heals, helps, delivers, saves, and ministers to all his children who believe. But we need to return to Galatians 4 and 4. It says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. According to scholars, it was more than 4,200 years from Adam's fall to to the Calvary event. Historians have come up with six distinctive periods of time within which those 4,000 plus years could fit. They call them dispensations, a big word, but it occurs four times in your New Testament, dispensations. It is a moral or probationary period of time by which God tests man as to his obedience to certain fixed laws during that particular period of time. And I'm rehearsing what we learned in our Bible uh, college. Each dispensation so far has ended in man's failure to abide by the laws of God. Yes, man failed every test. He failed on the conscience. He failed on the uh, promise. He failed under each one of them. Now let me perhaps run you through a quick list of what these dispensations are, the period of time. There was a dispensation of innocence. Many believe that that lasted for only seven days. Then there's the dispensation of conscience, human government, the dispensation of promise, the dispensation of law, and the dispensation of grace in which we now live. And still to come is the dispensation of divine government. Now, each one of these dispensations would be a challenge to me to do some teaching on so that you could learn and understand how God managed the household of his creation. But this is not the place and time for that, not at this moment. I must point out that that the dispensation of grace has been running now for 2,000 years. No one knows when it will end, but we do know it will conclude with the sudden appearance of Jesus Christ in the heavens and the believers in Christ, active believers, of course, current believers, will be caught up to meet him in the air. And those who died in faith, believing in Christ, they too will be resurrected and meet Christ in the air. These dispensations have a period where they overlap. The dispensation of grace did not begin abruptly 
with the birth of the Savior uh, in the town of Bethlehem, as we are celebrating around this time, law gradually receded while grace proceeded imperceptibly. John the Baptist announced the time of gradual change. He was the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist continued to be that voice crying in the wilderness and saying, there is coming one after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The law was now receding. Grace was beginning to take its place. Hence, the truth, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John stood in the midst of the transitionary period where law was turning into grace or becoming grace. John introduced Jesus, who eventually brought in the dispensation of grace. Now a simple way to illustrate how these dispensations would overlap. Let's take law and grace. It was as daylight turning and fading into evening darkness, or morning dawn brightening into a new day. Could you tell the difference? Is there a line that is drawn between the dawning of a day and the day itself? You cannot tell. So at the season when the angel said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. It was an announcement with deep and wide-reaching implications. It was an announcement that for a single, uh, not, not a message for a single um, nationality, but for all the nationalities of the world, not just the Jews, but all the Gentile races, all people. That is how you and I became involved in this harvest of souls. We are crowning Jesus, Lord, King, Savior, and Deliverer. The law passed away at his coming, and he has instituted the season of grace. We hail him as our redeemer, and so is he. We are shouting to him, Hosanna, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. We are calling out to the peoples and the nations and the tribes, saying, open up the gates of your city, open up the doors of your heart. Let the Savior in. This is the good news for all and sundry. None is excluded. Whosoever will to the Lord may come. Christmas is not about gifts and celebrations and eats and joys and happiness and peace and goodwill. It is about the accessibility 
of God's free grace to persons everywhere. So stop what you're doing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look to him who is the author and the finisher of your faith. The key is not in anybody's hand but your own. There is the Savior at your door. Let him in. He has been there long before. Let him in. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem those who were under the power, the weight, and the oppression of the law. Come now, join the happy band of pilgrims. We are marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We are marching to the beautiful city of God. Oh, wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching the most defiled by its transforming power, making him God's dear child. Come on, join the band. Become a believer in Christ today. You have nothing to lose but your sins, your sadness, your sorrow, your pain, your aches. In exchange, he gives you joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is the gospel. There is a future for each one who believes in Christ, a future of hope. Now is the accepted accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. The way is clear. Don't delay. Step in the ark of safety today. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have taken the time to wait patiently so that more and more can enter into your ark of safety. We pray for those who are halting between two opinions. Help them to step forward, to step to the plate, to step to the front and be counted for you. May they make their decision for you in this hour. And we thank you for those who have decided some a short time ago and some a long time ago. Thank you for them. May they remain committed to you. May they remain strong in you. In the great and mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. And he wants to keep you safe until you see him for yourself. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He did not come to condemn the world, but he came that the world through him might be saved. Thank you for listening. Is there anyone?